What's happening guys? Sam Adams here and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for August the 8th of 2019. Of course, for those that are brand new to the program, this is a daily gaming news show where I let you know the hottest gaming news from around the industry and I pack it up in one tight, neat podcast for you to enjoy five days a week, Monday through Friday, live on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams. And on top of that, the show is then taken down and put up on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media as well as podcast services around the world if you did want to check it out on Spotify, on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, whatever you might use. You can probably find it on your platform of choice. But what are we going to be talking about today? Specifically, our headliner, Death Stranding, is no longer listed as a PlayStation 4 exclusive, meaning it could very well be coming to PC. Xbox unlikely, but PC, ooh, that very well could be happening. On top of that, the Entertainment Software Association has announced they are working directly with Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo to disclose odds on loot boxes, and that's all happening in the midst of Rocket League actually ditching paid randomized loot boxes in exchange for a pretty standard microtransaction model, which very well could change how you see and play Rocket League in the future. Then, Borderlands 3 publisher confirms sending private investigators after a YouTuber over leaks. That's not that good of a look for Take-Two, but on top of that, if you're leaking information, you probably should definitely keep your door locked because they will definitely come for you. But speaking of Borderlands 3, it is going to let you pick between resolution and performance on the PlayStation 4 Pro. Which one would you rather have more of, better performance or a higher resolution? I'd prefer the performance. Uh, but Twitch has unveiled its own desktop broadcasting app for those out there wanting to start creating their own content or sharing their gameplay. But to round out the day, of course, World of Warcraft Classic is coming around the corner, but you might have lost track of your friends over the years that you used to play WoW with, or maybe even that you met in the land of Azeroth. Had to think about it, almost said Asgard. Well, guess what? I've got good news for you. You could track them back down thanks to a handy tool that Blizzard has created to do just that, reconnect you with your old World of Warcraft buddies. But without further ado, we will break down these stories and more on today's show. So let's go ahead and dive into it, shall we? First off, Death Stranding is no longer listed as a PlayStation 4 exclusive, so is a PC announcement in the coming days. We don't talk about Death Stranding very much here at PC Gamer because, as far as we know, it's going to launch as a PlayStation 4 exclusive. We hold out hope, they say, that it will come our way eventually. Never forget that a 2015 Q&A released when Kojima Productions opened its doors said that the then-unnamed project would come to PC after a stretch on the PlayStation, but for now, well, it seems like a distant dream. It may be slightly less distant than it was a few days ago, however. As noticed by a Vestin over there on the Reset forums, Death Stranding is no longer listed as a PlayStation 4 exclusive, and yes, it used to be. The Wayback Machine indicates that as recently as May the 26th, it was in a list of PlayStation 4 exclusives. That listing is from PlayStation's Australian site, but it's also gone from the UK, Portugal, France, and Germany. It's been removed across the board as far as I can tell. Beyond that Q&A from long ago, there are wispy threads of optimistic finger-crossing suggesting that Death Stranding will come to PC sooner rather than later, which we all dove into a few months ago. On the whole, it relies pretty heavily on wishful thinking, at least as far as an imminent PC announcement goes, but on the other hand, 
And then there is a tweet from Jeff Keighley, quote, excited to announce Hideo Kojima will be live in Cologne during Gamescom opening night live on Monday, August the 19th to premiere an exclusive new look at Death Stranding. ONL will stream around the world across all major platforms. So, hey, in this crazy mixed up world we live in, you never know what's going to happen next. We will have a couple of our best men from PC Gamer at Gamescom and we'll let you know if anything interesting happens at the show. So the big question here, could Death Stranding actually be coming to the PC platform and ditching the PS4 exclusivity? And I think that it very well could, and that makes perfect sense because of the competition that Sony and PlayStation are going up against in the form of Microsoft and Xbox. Of course, these companies pretty much synonymous with each other in the gaming space, the head-to-head competitors, if you will. So let's talk about what Microsoft and Xbox are doing. We see them acquiring all these big studios. We see them pumping out Xbox exclusives that are also going to be releasing on PC on the same day and date. And also on top of that, many coming to Xbox Game Pass, which increases the amount of people that will be diving in on day one and increasing that pool of players from the very get-go. That is incredibly enticing. I don't care who you are. To have that many people playing a game on day one, regardless of how it is achieved, is something that is worth taking note of. And Sony, without a doubt, is beginning to take note. Now, on the PlayStation side of things, you do have incredible games generation-defining games, if you will. You have Spider-Man, you have God of War, you have Uncharted, you have Infamous, you have The Last of Us. These are some of the biggest names in the gaming industry, and they're all only playable on PlayStation. But what about the PC gaming market? That's a huge portion that no one ever takes into consideration. I think that personally, Death Stranding is the perfect little example of an experiment. It is a game that, obviously it's going to do well on PlayStation 4, could be the experiment we need to see if a PlayStation 4 game could perform well on PC in addition to being released as a PlayStation 4 console exclusive. And personally, I think that's where exclusivity in the gaming industry is trending towards whenever we're talking about the rest of 2019 into 2020 and beyond. It's no longer going to be a console exclusive that PC players don't get, especially if Microsoft continues to play the game in which they're playing it, where you do have uh, this kind of cross-platform, cross-release for a lot of Xbox exclusives as PC games as well. Uh, I think that's going to change the entire game and you could just be seeing more console exclusivity as compared to necessarily just on console exclusive games. Uh, But that's just my two cents on it. Death Stranding very well could be coming to PS4 and of course, guaranteed to come to PS4, but also coming to PC on the same day and date. At least we will see what happens at Gamescom and this very all, you know, it could not happen at all. You could be seeing the game released as a PlayStation 4 exclusives, but hey, You never really know what's going to be happening here. Could be a pretty good time. Now, moving on, we have new talk about loot boxes in the gaming industry because the ESA is teaming with Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo to disclose odds on loot boxes. New initiatives will reveal the hard numbers to consumers. The Entertainment Software Association has announced that it's working with Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo on new policies openly disclosing the odds on loot box mechanics in video games that feature them. This is similar to the practices followed by iOS and Google Play for its mobile titles. The news was announced earlier today at the Federal Trade Commission's Inside the Game workshop during a segment focused on the controversial gaming mechanic. Quote, I am pleased to announce this morning that Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony have indicated to ESA a commitment to a new platform policy with respect to the use of paid loot boxes in games that are developed for their platform, stated the ESA's chief counsel of tech policy, Michael Warnecke. 
This announcement was then followed by a new posting on the ESA's website stating that the voluntary initiatives will require paid loot boxes and games to disclose information on the relative rarity or probability of obtaining randomized virtual items. The new information will be posted on future video game releases or added to titles that receive loot box mechanics post-release, such as what we saw with the Crash Collection a couple of weeks back, or at least the Crash Bandicoot, no wait, what's it called? Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. There it is, popped into the brain. While the major console platform holders are already on board with the new practices, many publishers are expected to follow suit by the end of 2020, including, and this is pretty notable, Activision Blizzard, Bandai Namco, Electronic Arts, Ubisoft, Warner Bros., and Take-Two, among others. This initiative is clearly a step by the industry towards making loot boxes currently in the firing line more of a legitimized mechanic, but some would argue that it may do little to quell some of the more predatory elements given that it is ostensibly gambling. Information is always important and consumers should have access to the hard facts and numbers about products before they commit their time and money to them. But will knowing the odds prove a positive step towards the bigger problem of loot boxes when it comes to addictive personalities, appealing to children, or real money microtransactions? Plenty of lotteries provide the hugely unlikely odds of winning for their respective players, but are still paid into by armies of people weekly. While offering more accurate information is certainly better than doing nothing at all, I'm personally unsure as to how much it will calm the current disdain towards loot box mechanics, which remains one of the modern gaming industry's most hot-button topics. And as Domino says in the chat, never tell them the odds. Never tell them the odds. Uh, but very interesting story here, and it's definitely a move that I didn't expect to see. Uh, quite frankly, I thought this was all going to continue in the trend uh, that it certainly was trending in, which is that loot boxes are an unstoppable disdain on the gaming industry. Uh, but no, a lot of people are more hostile towards the mechanic than I personally am. In my opinion, when it comes to any kind of microtransaction in the game, whether it be randomized or whether it be something that is earned and purchased, whatever, whatever it could be, if you can earn that item through game time, in a reasonable amount of time in-game, then it's perfectly fine to give consumers a route to purchase that item or to at least throw some dice and try and earn that item in a shorter period of time if they do so choose. Now, when it comes to randomized items, that definitely puts a bit of a skew on it because you could have uh, very much so a gambling take on that, and that can be very much so addictive to a specific kind of person, and especially children, if they have access to their parents' credit cards and they don't understand the concept of money. Uh, that can be a very, very dangerous situation that can lead to some very big credit card bills, some angry parents, and also on top of that, I've heard stories about people that are... I don't want to say inebriated, but are sometimes mentally disabled, mentally handicapped, whatever you want to uh, label it, they are taken advantage of in a big, big way. Not necessarily, uh, you know, targeted, but they are more susceptible to these kind of business practices, and that's not a very good move from gaming companies, from publishers, to insert these mechanics into the game. And so every step should be taken to ensure that the probability of earning something through randomized mechanics is disclosed to the gamers and to those that are above the gamers, whether it be parents, whether it be caretakers, whatever it might be, as many people as possible need to understand the option they have here when it comes to the randomized loot boxes. But on top of that, the probability this option does present to get what you actually want within the game. Now, again, should loot boxes and should microtransactions be in games at all? That is still one that is out for debate. A lot of people saying, yes, they should be included in the game. A lot of people saying they shouldn't. In my personal opinion, the best kind of game is a game that is complete and totally, uh, you know, out there 
at launch without any kind of additional DLC, without any kind of additional microtransaction, any kind of skin, whatever it might be. All of that is something that the modern gaming industry is thriving in. But at the same time, the best games, in my opinion, are those that are complete at launch. That's just my two cents, but hey, take it for what you will. But the ESA teaming with Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo to disclose odds on loot boxes, it's a pretty good move, in my opinion, at least a good step in the right direction. And simultaneously, Rocket League is ditching paid randomized loot boxes. This is a pretty good move, although one that is still getting a lot of kickback from the community. Rocket League sure has gone through a lot of changes, hasn't it? Since it exploded in popularity right off the bat in 2015, developer Psyonix has been admirably committed to improving and expanding the quirky sports game. At one point, that included the introduction of crates, paid loot boxes you had to buy keys to open. For some, they soured the experience, but the good news is they are now planning on getting rid of them. Here at Psyonix and Epic Games as a whole, which of course... Epic Games bought Psyonix a couple of months back. We are dedicated to creating the best possible experience for our players all over the world, said the studio in a new blog post. In pursuit of that goal, later this year, we will be removing all paid randomized crates from Rocket League, replacing them with a system that shows the exact items you are buying in advance. Not all premium services are going away, however. The Rocket Pass, DLC vehicles, and eSports shop items will still be available for purchase, and Sonics is simply removing the random element from the crates and will let you see what items you are getting for your money before you pull the trigger. Microtransactions will still be in Rocket League, but at least you won't be splashing out on cosmetics you don't actually want. So what do you think of this change to Rocket League? A lot of people don't actually like it. Uh, I have seen some people saying they are turning Rocket League into Fortnite, and most notably, that's pretty much the standout comment. Uh, quite frankly, because people hate, loathe, despise Epic Games. For what reason? Still up in the air. I don't really have anything against the company, and I think this is a pretty good move in the right direction for Rocket League. Uh, but a ton of people very upset about the fact that randomized loot boxes are going away. I don't get the gaming industry sometimes, and I certainly don't get the gaming community. But here we are. That's where we are in 2019. Now, I will say that for those that are comparing this business model to that of Fortnite, you are not entirely wrong. Uh, you do have the Rocket Pass, which is essentially the Battle Pass. You do have these in-game microtransactions as far as skins and other cosmetic items go. That is very much so like Fortnite. So I totally get where you're coming from with this. But to be quite frank, the Fortnite business model doesn't take advantage of people. The Fortnite business model simply gives you what you want in exchange for a couple of bucks, or even in Fortnite's case, earnable in-game V-Bucks, which the last time I checked, were pretty dang fair. That's just my two cents, though. And again, I'm probably going to get some flag for that, but hey, it's not a big deal to me, and I don't think it should be to you either. But hey, you're your own person. You can decide what you take offense at anytime you want. I will say that Rocket League ditching the paid loot boxes is a pretty big deal because it is one of the biggest games out there right now, one that continuously brings people back time and time again. People love Rocket League, and so for them to be ditching loot boxes is definitely a big statement within the gaming industry. And of course, in the chat, we have the statement, people are so easily satisfied. You love it, you hate it, sometimes you hate it, sometimes you love it, sometimes you do both at the same time. That is the nature of the beast in the gaming industry. But you know what Take-Two really hates? They really, really hate when people talk about Borderlands 3 behind their backs. So much so, they send out investigators to see what this YouTuber is up to. The Borderlands 3 publisher confirmed sending private investigators after a YouTuber over leaks. Borderlands 3 publisher 2K Games, excuse me, not Take-Two Interactive. I'm sorry. 
in, in association with Take-Two Interactive, has confirmed that it sent private investigators to the home of YouTuber Sup Matto as part of an investigation into Borderlands 3 leaks. Take-Two Interactive, there we go. See, I knew they were involved. The parent company of Borderlands 3, publisher 2K Games, has shed some light on its side of a story that caused the hashtag Borderlands 3 boycott or even boycott Borderlands 3 to trend on Twitter. The hashtag was created in response to a YouTube video below by Borderlands YouTuber and streamer Hupmato. The creator previously leaked a number of details about Borderlands 3, so much so that it caused Take-Two to investigate him. In the video, Hupmato says he was approached by two private investigators who arrived at this home unannounced to ask about Borderlands 3 leaks he had been posting. The YouTuber explained that he didn't get the unannounced information in any malicious way, but Take-Two believes differently. The company has issued a statement that it did indeed Indeed, send private investigators to Submato's home as part of a larger investigation into the source of Borderlands 3 leaks that has been going on for 10 months. One particular incident both parties referenced is the discovery of a Twitch extension, which was accidentally shown off ahead of time thanks to an unlisted video on the official YouTube channel. Said video also included screen names of testers. This wasn't found by me. It was also posted on various platforms like Reddit and other social medias. That's how it was brought to my attention, so quite a few of us decided to follow these accounts because, well, simply put, we could, said Submato. Take-Two, however, says some of the information Submato shared with their audience was obtained through a Twitch exploit that allowed them to access private test streams, which they used as a source. Quote, the information he is sharing about the situation is incomplete and in some cases untrue, said 2K. Not only were many of his actions illegal, but they were negatively impacting the experiences of other content creators and our fans in anticipation for the game. Many of these videos have now been deleted. Take-Two and 2K take the security and confidentiality of trade secrets very seriously. The action we have taken is a result of a 10-month investigation and a history of this creator profiting from breaking our policies, leaking confidential confidential, excuse me, information about our product and infringing our copyrights, it added. We will take the necessary actions to defend against leaks and infringement of our intellectual property that not only potentially impact our business and partners, but more importantly, may negatively impact the experiences of our fans and consumers. Interestingly, Twitch and Discord were both also investigating Submato. Discord actually deleted the YouTuber's private server for, quote, selling, promoting, or distributing cheats, hacks, or cracked accounts. And according to IGN, Submato shared more leaks through the server for a $5 subscription to his channel. For now, Submato is taking a break from making videos, saying he doesn't know if he'll be returning for Borderlands 3's release this coming September. And so, uh, what is the overall lesson here? Number one, if you have insider information, you probably should make sure you can share it before you put out the info, even if you did do a bit of digging. Now, I will also say this doesn't look good for Submato because, quite frankly, if you are confident that you didn't do anything wrong, then why would you delete the content that you put out? That's what blows my mind. So if you are 100% sure that your claims are valid, that you are in the right on this one, then you shouldn't have any problem leaving up the content that you made because it's quite frankly driving views to your channel. That's the way that I would see it. So of course, if I did nothing illegal, if I did everything in a right up good way, that's just driving more people to check out the content whenever these articles are published because hey, you got a link to my channel, right? You got to drive those ad revenue people my way, right? That's the way that I would personally see it. So obviously something is going on here if he has chosen to take down those videos entirely instead of even focusing on seeing what the outcome of this might be. That's just my two cents though. So again, we will see what exactly comes from the fact that Submato has def definitely, we're getting a little Swedish there, definitely taken down his videos. And on top of that, investigations have commenced from the guys over there at 2K and Take-Two Interactive. Not looking so good. 
for Sub Matto. Of course, for Take Two, 2K, and the guys behind the scenes at Borderlands 3, my god, it's looking like a good season because the game is coming out soon, the game is definitely coming in hot, and a ton of people are excited about the game itself. But guess what? If you are playing on the PlayStation 4, specifically on the PS4 Pro, there is a big bell and whistle coming your way. Both of them. Ooh, Borderlands 3 is going to let you pick between resolution and performance if you are playing on the PlayStation 4 Pro. Would you rather have a higher resolution or a higher frame rate when playing video games? I'm sure you don't even need to ponder that question. We all seem to have our own set in stone preferences. Much to my delight, the author says, and also to mine, Samuel Adams. Gearbox Software has confirmed that Borderlands 3 will offer two different graphical settings on the PlayStation 4 Pro. Favor resolution, which is capped at 30 frames per second, and favor performance, which is capped at 60 frames per second. I will always choose the latter. There is super sampling support too. Even if you only have a 1080p television, you can still benefit from the favor resolution mode. The game will super sample from the high resolution using the, con using the console's hardware, excuse me. So the 1080p output will look sharper in this mode than it normally would. Borderlands 3 will be capable of 4K resolution and high dynamic range as it is becoming commonplace. But interestingly, you can configure this stuff individually, meaning you could, in theory, play the game in 1080p HDR. As for what to expect from HDR, Nightfall is rendered in much darker blacks and the killer skyboxes really pull you into the world, basically the game looks more crisp. On a related note, Gearbox previously said that Borderlands 3 will have the same sorts of graphical options on the Xbox One X and that the development team is shooting for 60 frames per second. It has given a while, excuse me, it has taken a while given the mid cut. Wow, I can't read today. This is great. It has taken a while given the mid-console cycle rollout of the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X, but I am glad to see more console games letting players choose between 1080p 60 and 4K 30 where applicable. And of course, hopefully this will happen into the next generation with PlayStation 5 and the Xbox One, 2, whatever you want to call it. But I would say next generation we are going to be shooting for 4K 60 as a pretty much, you know, foundation. Uh, that's just me though. Now, when it comes to this specific instance, 1080p 60 versus 4K 30, I'm choosing 1080 60 every day of the week, baby, because that smooth frame rate changes the game. It is the best of the best, but man, do I love this feature in games. It's something that I feel should be included in every possible game because it really just does make the experience not only tailored to the consumer, but also better in general. Uh, it's hard to explain. But whenever I was first playing God of War, I was playing it on a day one PlayStation 4. Then, in the middle of me playing God of War, I went ahead and upgraded to a PlayStation 4 Pro because they were on sale. My PS4 day one was about to die. The fan was blowing. It had been blown out. The thing was getting ready to blow out. So we went ahead and traded that one in, got a PS4 Pro. I boot the thing up. It says, do you want to choose 1080-60 or 4K-30? 1080-60 all the way. I kid you not. The God of War that I played on the day one PS4 was not the God of War that I played on the PS4 Pro. That is a different experience entirely. I would highly recommend if you have a PS4 Pro and you do not enable 1080-60 and you are playing on a 1080p monitor, go for it. Because man, is it such a... Mm. Yeah, baby. But if you do want to play Borderlands 3 on the PS4, it's a fantastic place to play it because if you have a Pro, you can choose 1080p 60 or 4K 30. And of course, apparently you can even uh, super sample and make that 1080p at 30 frames per second look very, very crisp, which not really one that I would go for, but hey, you can if you want. But of course, Borderlands 3 going to be a very big game in the gaming industry, a big game in the streaming industry, and if you do want to stream it, you have the chance to use... 
Twitch's own tools to stream it on their platform. You can apply to join the Twitch Studio closed beta now, because finally Twitch has unveiled a fundamental mechanic of streaming, a way to actually stream. Until now, people who stream their gameplay or lives on Twitch have done so through a PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Twitch's mobile app, Twitch Sings, or third-party software. As of today, there is another option for those hoping to become the next Ninja, Dr. Disrespect, or Pokemane, Twitch Studio. The service's first full desktop broadcasting app, it's a strange way to say that, but you know what I'm talking about, is in closed beta for now that you can apply to join. Twitch released the tool to make it easier for people to get started with streaming from their PC. Doing so on PS4 or Xbox One is pretty straightforward as it stands now. As such, Twitch suggests Xbox One, excuse me, Twitch suggests Studio probably won't be beneficial to established streamers who are happy with their current setups on the likes of OBS, Streamlabs OBS, or XSplit, but they are still welcome to test it out. Since it's focused on streaming newcomers, the Twitch Studio is designed to help folks start broadcasting quickly. With that in mind, it seems you won't need to configure many options before you start showing the world your killer Fortnite plays or auto chess strats. But once you've set up your microphone and or webcam and picked out a template for some visual flair for your stream, it seems you'll be up and running quickly. In the coming months, Twitch plans to add support for capture cards and game overlays to help streamers chat with their viewers and deeper integration with other Twitch features. As it stands, Twitch Studio includes an activity feed, alerts, and chat to help you engage with your first viewers. And so we have the beginning of the end for the threshold of difficulty to get in to the streaming space. Of course, as it has traditionally been, streaming has not necessarily been easy. Of course, you can just click go live if you have a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One, but that doesn't necessarily warrant any kind of professionalism, if you will. It's always been difficult to actually get a stream up and going. At least that has been my experience. You have to Google around. You have to find what platform works best for you, Twitch or Mixer. Then you have to figure out uh, where you want to go when it comes to the software you want to use. OBS, Streamlabs OBS, how do you want to go about doing this? Uh, and then on top of that, you've had to actually figure out your layout, figure out your uh, various types of scenes and whatnot. That's always been pretty much the tertiary difficulty that you have with getting into the streaming space. Now, you can pretty much just click go live through this app that Twitch has put together. But Domino says in the chat, tuning back in, why are they making it so easy? So many people are just now streaming and not working for it or at learning things and just expecting to be ninja. Very true. And of course, that brings in a lot of various elements. That's an entirely different discussion in and of itself. The difficulty of streaming, the accessibility of streaming, a lot of things that are on people's minds. But it is interesting to see everything that's happening right now in the streaming space. Of course, we were talking about last week, Ninja's big switch from Twitch to Mixer, which has gotten a lot of people interested in streaming on various platforms, Twitch included, YouTube, Mixer, whatever it might be. It is incredibly exciting to be in the world of content creation in 2019. But Twitch finally having some kind of app to allow people to broadcast on their platform is something that has been needed for a long, long time. In my mind, it's almost like having a car, but having a third party sell you the keys. It's always been baffling to me that there's no uh, first party way, I suppose is the worst, best way to put it, uh, to actually stream on Twitch. It's always been kind of baffling to me. But now we have the solution to that, the Twitch Studio app, which again is in closed beta now. Personally, I've signed up for it. I'm going to give it a shot. Of course, I've used Streamlabs OBS. I'm currently using OBS Studio. I have tried out XSplit. There are plenty of options out there. 
and I'm gonna make a video on Twitch Studio. You know me well enough. I love the streaming space and I love testing out these new tools for streamers to use. But we will see how it goes and as time goes on, how much it actually evolves. But again, this could be just a little experimental uh, aside from Twitch or it could be the next big thing in the streaming space. If I had to guess though, Streamlabs, you don't have anything to worry about whatsoever. But next month, we are getting World of Warcraft Classic, one of the biggest releases of the fall in the streaming space. But Blizzard has created a tool to help old World of Warcraft buddies find each other. Very cool story here. If you have been a lapsed World of Warcraft player for the past 10 years plus, you have probably let some relationships fall by the wayside. For example, the entire guild that formed the core of your social life when you were in a suffocatingly small Christian high school in Texas. Maybe you have found yourself sipping a beverage in the loneliest corner of your local bar, wondering whatever happened to those folks and why didn't they let me complete my tier 2 armor set before the first expansion came out, those dicks. Well, with World of Warcraft Classic around the corner, Blizzard is now trying to help you, and certainly not me, get answers to both of those questions. Blizzard has launched a forum tool called Classic Connections 2004 through 2006 with the goal of helping pre-expansion WoW players find each other again. Its structure is pretty simple. You start by selecting Horde or Alliance and then what type of server, PvE, PvP, role-playing PvE, or role-playing PvP you use to play on. From there, you choose your old server and then post who you were. Blizzard recommends starting with your character's name, race, class, and guild, as well as the character names of people you are hoping to tearfully embrace when WoW Classic launches in the coming weeks. It's a cool idea, and I'm glad Blizzard's doing it. That said, the company hasn't done a great job of publicizing it so far, and it shows. When I first learned about the tool, I made a beeline to the section of my old server, Thunderlord. It was never the most popular server, but I was hoping to see one or two familiar faces in its Classic Connections page. Instead, it was a ghost town, with just nine posts as of this publishing. I got a nostalgic dopamine boost from recognizing a couple ancient guild names, but otherwise, I came away from the reanimated skeleton of my teenage years with more questions than answers. On that note, if anybody reading this has ever played with a Tarn Shaman named Athnahan? Sure, why not? Uh, this is from Nathan Grayson over on Kotaku, so that makes sense. On Thunderlord, that was him. Hit him up in case you hated me. In that case, don't. Uh, but overall, cool tool nonetheless. Whenever you are thinking about World of Warcraft, or at least in my personal experience, when I think about WoW Classic, the experience of having a guild, the experience of teaming up with friends, the experience of meeting people online, that's what made WoW very special, and that's what still makes WoW special today. The community around the game is none that I've ever seen before. It blows my mind. Uh, whenever I watch a stream, whenever I see anybody talking about WoW, it is just absolutely mind-blowing how connected these people got. And as the years go on, some expansions turned people off, and they left the game entirely. Some people came back when a new expansion came out, but overwhelmingly, a lot of people just left the game altogether. And so to be able to reconnect with your old friends, to be able to get back together for WoW Classic, and basically relive in 2019 what WoW was back in 2004 through 2006, that's amazing. And so this is an incredibly useful tool. I would encourage anybody to get on and use it, because the connections made through gaming they aren't just trivial small connections. I've made some incredible friends through content creation and gaming that are closer to me than some of the people that I know in my real life. Uh, it's amazing to see what can be done in the world of Warcraft, but also in the world of gaming. So if you do want to dive in and see if you can find any of your old guildmates, by all means, the tool is out there now for you to enjoy and take advantage of. And again, coming soon, you have World of Warcraft Classic launching in September. Very exciting times for those that played on the game back in the day. 
But with that being said, that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. Of course, if you are brand new to the show, thank you for watching all the way to the end. For those joining me live in the chat, I appreciate you being here as well, and I do hope you enjoyed today's show. But you can always check it out on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media, as well as podcast services around the world. And I hope you have a fantastic night. I will be back tomorrow for a brand new episode. But until then, enjoy the 11 NFL games starting between now and 8 o'clock. Oh, my God. Football, baby. Let's go, Panthers. See you tomorrow. Bye.